Yeah, it's so beautiful here. It's so green. It's just wild. But then I'm still just, I'm like, just, am I going to get murdered in my sleep living in the country? I don't know. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> just don't I help just... any men uh, with casts pick up anything ever. Never help a man yeah. with a cast. Ugh. You know, that's what, um, who was that famous serial killer? Not Dahmer. The one that was supposedly hot. Anyway, he always had a cast. And he would ask women. <laughs> he, would ask... <laughs> he would ask women to help him load stuff. Like his surfboard and whatnot. Like, why are you surfing? B Bundy. Ted Bundy. He'd be like, oh, can you help me load in my surfboard into my car? My arms hurt. Yeah, see, I think women nowadays would be like, hell no. Look, yes. You ask a man, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. The days of women being polite for no reason are fucking over. Yeah. I mean, I think I might help a woman with a cast, and then she might murder me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm going to look out for that. Yeah. I'd be like, well, I probably deserved it, because, you know. <laughs> I'd be like, kudos to you for pulling this off. Like, You'd be like, you know what? I do have great skin. You're right. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. <laughs> That's funny. Just kidding. Nobody deserves to die. Okay. Um... <laughs> well, I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> Where's the iron? Can mice and birds sew? Polly, don't cut up that dress. Is Where's the iron? Oh my God, I'm sweating. Where's the iron? Taffeta. <laughs> Muslin. Ooh, I'd wear that. Is that, that machine, machine even threaded? Say it again because I like made a big noise. <laughs> well, fortunately, I can just cut you right out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Liza. I'm the sewing one. I'm Megan, I'm the writing one, and you are listening to There's No Thread, the podcast that asks could, would, and more importantly, should the character really make whatever it is that gets sewn in the movie we are talking about today. Ready? Yes! Yes! <laughs> today we are turning our sewing and writing eyes upon the 1991 Jonathan Demme psychological horror film Silence of the Lambs. Based on the 1988 Thomas Harris novel of the same name, with costume design by Colleen Atwood. Megan, do you have like an image that springs to mind when you hear the name Colleen Atwood? No. Because she is really heavily associated with Tim Burton. She's done a lot of Tim Burton movies. Oh, like, okay. Um, Sleepy Hollow, Edward Scissorhands, Mars Attacks, like that kind of vibe. So it's cool to see her doing like a regular people clothing movie. Yeah. Yeah. But you can still see like, really interesting touches like how uh, Hannibal Lecter's outfit like the white t-shirt and the white pants they were so form-fitting and like high-waisted and tailored and he looked kind of amazing <laughs> yeah he looked like sort of dorky um and like sort of he chic also yeah and like he really put some thought into his prison wear even mm -hmm. though I'm you know technically well, he, he had I mean, no yeah, say in it. He didn't get to put the thought into it, but, but uh, Colleen did. <laughs> yes, but just the way in which it fitted him uh, was really, really quite flattering. This movie is a classic, big time. You know, it's an adaptation from a novel, which I always love because Mom was working on a novel, trying to make it a movie one day, not a big wolf. Who isn't? This is like the worst thing you could say as a fiction writer is that you one day want it to be a film. It's like such a no no. Um, oh, do people like think that's gross? I, I think less so now. People, I mean, my personal theory is the more you can adapt your material, the stronger you are as a writer and like make it whatever you want, baby. Um, yeah, that's a good point because it's such a different uh, like venue for a story. 
Yeah. And like, we live in such a screen age. Like if something pops on the page, people kind of instinctually want to see it now on the screen as well. But you know, there used to be a whole lot of like, you're a, a one track is you're a playwright and that's what you do and you don't stray or you're a screenwriter or you're a, a, a fiction writer. Right. And like uh, to do TV is to sell out. And now yeah. we're like, no, we're not snobby like that anymore. Boy, has that changed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So characters are Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling. And she is obviously our main character. Our, um, our, let's see, what did I write down for, for the synopsis, the plot here? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, baby doesn't know how to print. <laughs> baby only talks about herself in third person and calls herself baby. Okay. Um, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> oh, here it is. A rookie FBI agent enlists an imprisoned cannibalistic psychopath to help her find a serial killer. Yeah, that's what it is. How do you do with uh, scary movies? Are you okay with them? So I thought a lot about this because I refused to watch Silence of the Lambs for so long, and I've only seen parts of it. I'm pretty sure I've never seen the whole movie. Wow, um, okay. Yeah, the part that I had seen was when Catherine Martin, the the senator's daughter, gets you know pulled over, and that terrified me. Or No, she's helping him load in the... Um, Oh, weird. That was the one part you've seen? I had seen that part, and I had seen the part with the um, night vision goggles. And oh, that shit... um, quick aside, listener, um, we're going to talk about everything that happens in this movie, and if you, have, if you haven't seen it yet, could you get with it, please? <laughs> yeah. We're not going to worry about spoiling anything, because it's been around for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, have we ever worried about spoiling anything? No, we never. We really never have. But I was thinking about this. This movie did not scare me that much when I watched it this time. Oh, I have a theory on that. Well, I have a theory on it too. And okay, let's hear the it. most straightforward theory is I actually work on a true crime show. <laughs> I have like literal PTSD from the number of murder stories that I have absorbed over the past couple of years. It just wrapped a couple of days ago. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't have to watch somebody get murdered and hear a murderer talk about it. And then I was like, oh wait, I have to watch Silence of the Lambs tonight. <laughs> so I don't like work on... I don't do like the interviews and recruit, but I watch every single version of every single cut. I'm like very enmeshed okay. in the stories to the point where they go in your brain. They go in my brain, man. So watching this, I was like, come at me. I mean, this is still pretty intense. Like yeah. I haven't watched any stories where someone's skin is used as uh, sewing, <laughs> sewing material. Yeah. But what's your theory? I also think it's because it's older. It yeah. doesn't scare me as much. It's 30 years old. It uh, Apparently it's one of the things that's responsible for why we have so much police procedural dramas now wow yeah so it's really it's like you said we've all just collectively seen a lot more of like let's look into the mind of a serial killer let's see what the fbi do like we've seen that so much more now that it's less terrifying i mean they really did have to introduce a lot of things in this movie that now we're like yeah we we know that like the whole thing of the senator is saying her daughter's name over and over to establish that she's a person. Like, I think we all get that concept now. And probably we have Silence of the Lambs to thank for that, for like Criminal Minds being a TV show and probably like Dexter and like, yeah, your thing. And yeah. 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 And mine are all true stories that were solved. And so as soon as I'm like in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is fictional. This is fictional, even though it's, you know, of course, acting like it's real. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was really good. Um, it definitely... And you weren't, you weren't super scared. But then, you know, again, like working on murder shows and, and true crime stuff, 
uh, you, it's almost like sometimes you're comforted by when it's like a family member that kills the person because you kind of scan your own life and you're like, okay, well, there's like a low, I feel like there's a low risk of like my own family murdering me. You're like, well, my family's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, you know, Liza, eh, pretty low. Like, I don't feel like she's, you know, low level. Yeah. But then these, these cases that are random, you're just kind of like, oh, like, <laughs> then, then you get kind of scared. I also have a higher tolerance for gore than I realized. Like the mm. scene on the um, the medical examiner scene. Mm-hmm. Like even Jason was kind of like, uh, and I was just kind of staring at it. Like, I mean, like that... the, the autopsy kind of uh, yeah, taking yeah. the fingerprints from the body and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and showing the back and the photographs and stuff like that. But um, I mean, I stayed awake for most of it. There was a couple moments when I was like, mm, feels, feels, I stayed awake for oh all of God. it, but there's... You fell asleep during Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> no, I didn't. There was a couple moments when I closed my eyes and I was like, this feels good. And I was like, no, girl, stay awake. Well, we you... didn't start it until after nine o'clock. And I was like, Jason, you know, I will oh not be able to stay awake. Yeah, that's yeah. really late. Speaking of falling yeah. asleep during movies, have you seen ads for that movie Ghosted? It's like Ana de Armas and... Um, oh, yes. Some hot guy. I was like, oh, I'm really sorry, but I... Th- I fell asleep so hard during that. I don't remember what happened. And he was like, it hasn't come out yet. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I was like, no, because I've seen this part. And then I haven't seen any of the rest. And he was like, yeah, because I played you the trailer. It hasn't come out yet. You have not seen this movie. And so finally we did watch it because it did come out. Yeah. And I was like, it's such a bad movie that I was like rage awake the whole time. Yeah. Like he kept looking over and being like, I can't believe you haven't actually fallen asleep during this movie. Liza, that movie looks awful. I know. I've seen that trailer too. Yeah. Yeah. If you've seen it and you think that you slept through it, you haven't. <laughs> but you should. But tell me the rest of the characters because I, I interrupted you on that. Oh, no. That's okay. Um, okay. So Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling. You obviously have Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter, the serial cannibalistic murderer, psychopath, mm-hmm. psychological genius. Yes. <laughs> And sophisticated. Um, and so, and yeah, and quite the sophisticated yeah. man. Um, um, I have a quick little trivia on him. Okay. Um, I read that he was totally starstruck to work with Jodie Foster on this movie. Oh, Isn't that, that is so good? The adorable. sweetest. Yeah. Yeah. And then Scott Glenn plays Jack Crawford, who is the you know main FBI agent that she's reporting to. Fun to see and, young Scott Glenn. Although still seems old to me. Yeah, I mean, he might have been old forever, but he he's looks, one of those kind of old forever. younger in this one. Yeah, he yeah. was younger. Yeah, and he was so uh, lovely to her, which I yeah. I kept waiting for like weird, you know. I mean, there was tons of like her being treated badly and disrespectfully, but not from him, which was awesome. Yeah, Anthony is it healed, held? Yeah, I guess who plays uh, Doctor Chilton? Which sidebar, I love him because he played the exact he plays the same kind of confident confidently leading everyone in the wrong direction character <laughs> like in everything and i just love it because he has such a good face for that he's also has a small role in a time to kill and i think the client and the he went through a a, a long um period of um oh now i'm blanking on the author who's the author that wrote a time to kill and um the pelican brief and oh, oh my god oh my it, god it's not tom clancy it's no, but not close. James Patterson? No, but so close. It's um it's one of those dudes. 
Oh my god, somebody's gonna just fucking call in and rip us a new oh, one I'll for just, that. I'll just cut this. <laughs> You're just gonna cut this whole section. I'm gonna give us um, a smart edit. <laughs> so anyway, but he's great. And as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, he's gonna be delightfully douchey. And he was. Um, uh, oh yeah, and I, I do want to jump in and say, whenever I listen to a podcast and somebody can't figure out the pronunciation of somebody's name, I would always be yelling at my speaker, look it up. Um, but I gotta say, like, I've tried to look up name pronunciations a lot so that you and I can sound smart on this. And yeah. um, it's a lot harder than I thought it was to find pronunciations of people's names. Like, yeah. I've gone and looked up YouTube videos even to see, like, if I find an interview, where the, will the interviewer say their last name? And then I can be like, that's it. But um, yeah, it's harder than you might think. <laughs> yeah, so everybody, if you're yelling at us, haha, we can't hear you. So... <laughs> Okay, so now I'm I'm like determined to find this author because I'm like losing my mind. Um, John Grisham. Oh my god. John oh, Grisham, of course, of course, of course. Oh, sorry, John. Sorry, buddy. Woo. Sorry. Young Matthew McConaughey just popped up on my screen. Wow. Okay. Just unrelated. Um, yeah, just well, from a time to kill. Yeah. He just, he just sent said, text. He slid into my DMs asking me if I want to join him for some bongos. You know, he got like, a noise complaint. Bad had a noise complaint in Austin for playing bongos too loud naked in his house oh my god <laughs> why weren't we invited to that because <laughs> like Austin ain't what it used to be I used to be able to do this with can you imagine no you're you're his neighbor and you're like uh-uh but I'm calling the cops <laughs> yeah instead of you're just a... being like oh there's Matthew look at him go <laughs> yeah all right so Jodie Foster Scott Glenn Anthony Held and then we have Ted Levine um, who plays yeah. uh, the murderer, James Gum, and uh, Brooke Smith, who mm -hmm. plays Catherine Martin, which was awesome because um, she's another one that has had a bunch of meaty, smaller roles over the years. And I was like, oh my God, she's from Grey's Anatomy. So I recognized her. She is super charming. One of the few moments that I really clearly remember from this movie from when I saw it the first time, whenever that was, was that just short little scene where she's listening to American Girl. Yes, uh, the Tom Petty song, and she's just like banging on the steering wheel and like singing and just like, yeah. And I mean, there's no point to that scene except to just to establish that she's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that was what stuck out. Like that's one of the moments I remember from this really clearly. It's like not the face ripping or any of that. It's like her having fun driving. Yes, that was the scene I had seen, and that's where I immediately started to get nervous because you're like, oh, she's awesome, and she's gonna be punished for it. <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> Her innocence is lost in three, two, one. Oh, can I help you move this couch? Oh my God. Okay. So yeah, that's like our main cast. I mean, there's other people. Do you want me to talk about? There's Barney, who's played by uh, Frankie Faison. There's also Tracy Walter, who's a character actor that if you see him, you're like, oh, that guy. He plays Lamar. He's like one of the people in the funeral home during that scene where they're kind of taking the fingerprints off the body. Okay, that's cool. him. He's one of those that's him guys. Yeah, yeah he's in Aaron Brockovich. Um, oh, yeah. He's in so many things. <laughs> I remember. He's in so many things. Darla is the name of the dog who plays Precious. <gasps> Darla? Darla. Not only was she Precious in this movie, she also was in Batman Returns Whoa. as Ratty Poodle. And we will talk about Batman Returns uh, another in another episode. Okay. Because something gets built in that. My favorite role of Darla's is um, she was in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which I don't know if you remember, but there's a fire and he goes into the pet store and he rescues all the animals. He runs in and he like runs out with a pink poodle and that's Darla. And he runs in, he runs out with an armful of kittens 
and he runs back in, he runs out with birds. But each time he runs in, there's a cage full of snakes and he's always like, Ugh! and he runs past <laughs> the snakes each time. He refuses to save the snakes until the very end. He's like, oh no, I have to save the snakes. So he comes out with this armful of snakes that are just kind of writhing all over him and he oh, faints on the sidewalk. <laughs> oh God. I mean, I can relate to that. Yeah, it is so I would funny. just leave them. So yeah, that's Darla. She's a Bichon Frise. Mm. You know, she had a she had a big career and then retired. Shout out to Bichons. How many years do you get to retire as a dog? It must be just a few, right? Well, I mean, uh, not to be morbid, but how long oh, does the retirement it last? Sad. It says she died later yeah. that year at the age oh. of sixteen or seventeen. So she worked right up. She did what she loved. Yeah, and then she. Uh, Okay, so that's that's Darla as Precious in this movie, who has a real plot point. Um, I read the book. Um, I read it, and I've seen the movie. And both of them, I think, I think I thought Clarice was older than me the, when I, you know, the first time I read it and saw it. And now, um, you know, she's she's so young, like clearly so young. Oh my so. god! We were having this whole conversation this morning about, like, when did we all get so old? Where everybody's. <laughs> I mean, same, like when the movie came out, I was, I don't know, nine or something. And I don't, I didn't see it at that time, but I remember seeing being like, Jodie Foster is a full adult, but yeah, she's so young. Wait, there is one more cast person I want to say, which is Cassie Lemons played Ardelia Mapp, who is Clarice's oh. friend at school. Yes. In the book, she's her roommate and they don't really make that clear in the movie, but she's like her one female friend. Yes. She's mostly cut out of the movie, but I have a really funny quote from the book. It's my cheap paperback right here. <gasps> that I, I want to read this to you because it, like, I was really sad. Ardelia and Clarice really, like, care for each other and help each other through what sounds like really rough training at, you know, at, at the FBI. And Clarice considers Ardelia to be the smartest person she knows. It's, like, in Clarice's mind... Ardelia, Crawford, and Lecter are like just the smartest people she knows. Like she really admires Ardelia, and Ardelia really helps her. Um, I think that Ardelia like realizes that <laughs> Clarice is kind of like a little lost and um, kind of needs some help. But yeah. Anyway, Clarice has been like trying to sleep, but she's been like tossing and turning and worrying about things and trying to figure things out all night. And so, <laughs> here I'm just gonna read this to you. Okay. Fuck this, Starling said aloud and put her feet on the floor. You're over there corrupting a moron, aren't you, Starling? Ardelia Mapp said. Sneaked him in here while I was asleep, and now you're giving him instructions. Don't think I don't hear you. Oh, sorry, Ardelia, I didn't. You gotta be a lot more specific with him than that, Starling. You can't just say what you said. Corrupting morons is just like journalism. You got to tell them what, when, where, and how. I think why gets self-explanatory as you go along. <laughs> so, like, they're just... They have a lot of fun interactions and none of it makes it into the movie. Yeah. Well, I feel like um, always, I mean, obviously at that time, like any sort of real female friendship would be like the first thing to be cut. Yeah. Uh, and you got to cut. It's like a book. You want it to last forever. And if a yeah. movie is more than two hours, I'm going to be mad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it, unless she's like directly contributing to the, um, but it is interesting because yeah, it's such a traumatizing thing she's undertaking. And uh I'm sure in the book it's clearer. I mean, like she kind of needs to have a friend through all of this. Okay, so the sewing moment in this movie. All right, now um, you probably think the sewing moment I'm going to break down today is whether or not Buffalo Bill could make a suit out of human skin. 
But no, <laughs> I'm not. Because first of all, that's Brody. Two, there's no question of whether he could or not within the world of this movie because he already has. Like we're yeah. on victim number five, I think, when the movie takes place. So we can't ask, could he, would he, and should he, because he already is. Like he's he's doing it. There's nothing for us to answer there. <laughs> and third of all, uh, this isn't Buffalo Bill's story. This is Clarissa's story. We aren't going to focus on the man in this. We are going to put our attention where it belongs, which is on the hero of the story, which is Clarice. Yeah, boy. She's the one that cracks the case, and she cracks it with her sewing knowledge. Well, that's but, good to know. I wasn't really sure what we were going to yeah, talk about. If, if you're worried that it's going to get real gross real quick, or maybe you're disappointed that it's not about to get real gross. Well, there is that one scene when he's when he is actually sewing skin, right? Yeah, yeah, we do see that. But okay. um, he's we don't care about him that much. We care about Clarice. Okay, um, that's right. <laughs> also, during that scene, all I could think about was uh, Lucille Ball saying, "It's a bobbin. See, it's just bobbing up and down. It's just bobbing up and down, bobbing up and down." I was like, "Look at him just bobbing away on this bobbin with some actual human skin." I know. So he actually was, I, I think he was using like a, like a cobbler's machine. You could tell that it was a different kind of machine, right? You could see that? Yeah. It looked jank, kind of janky. Yeah. And... It's like for leather work or hard or like shoes, saddles, hard goods like that. It's, it's kind of like, it's got a free arm instead of you're sewing on a tabletop type surface. Yeah. Um, and he did have thread in the machine. So like, we'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. Good job, buddy. But other than that. Other than that, bye bye. Bad job. <laughs> Everything else um, you're doing, not cool. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think this, like, we'll get back around to um, what Clarice is doing. Like, how does she crack the case using her sewing knowledge? Because that's like, kind of instead of could, would, and should, we're gonna do that today. But um, I want to talk a little bit about the world of this movie. Like, we've got this whole like heightened danger thing. You know, Clarice is having to use one murderer to try and stop another murderer. And, like, that's all very, very, uh, like, extreme. Um, but she's also in just the exact same world that all of us live in, which is where she's, got, she's dealing with, like, this constant background level of um, maybe not exactly danger, but just definitely scrutiny from men. They have so many scenes in this movie of just men looking at her. Yes. Like, none of... and there's kind of an interesting idea of like none of her relationships being safe. Like you mentioned that you were kind of worried that Crawford was going to try to hit on her essentially. Right. Yes. And he never does, which is wonderful, but everywhere she goes, like she, she's going jogging with Ardelia and her, her fellow classmates turn around and watch them as they run past. Yep. Uh, she goes into the asylum and the asylum, like the head doctor of the asylum hits on her blatantly mm -hmm. and grossly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um lector is really respectful of her but he brings up the idea that maybe maybe her mentor crawford who should be the safest person in her life maybe he sees her sexually and there's that scene in the autopsy situation where all the cops are crowded around the body in the um funeral home and she asks them to leave she's yeah. like you know you all go on now i'm gonna take care of her and um they have a really, the, the camera really lingers. Like they literally give her like a down and up. Like the men are like just scan, like scanning her, looking at her. And mm -hmm. 
And then, you know, she even, she goes to the Natural History Museum and the, the guys who she's gone to for their expertise in like the bug identification, they try to hit on her. Like, yeah. she can't go anywhere. And it's kind of just, I mean, this movie is really interesting about like establishing, here's something crazy. The scary man is like determining what parts of women he finds valuable for himself and discarding the rest. But then here's all just this regular stuff that we all kind of deal with of like, everywhere you go, you are being assessed. Yes. Yeah. And, and of and, course, the culmination of that is with the semen. She looks literal semen thrown on her face. Yeah. And yeah. 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 <laughs> just to kind of like talk about that in my own life, but also kind of lighten it up a bit. I remember the first time I did not get checked out. I was at, um, I was at that Target that's at Fairfax and uh santa monica it's at la brea in santa monica oh that's it i spent so much time there go ahead yeah so like you remember that <laughs> courtyard yeah like, yeah I, like i was coming on the starbucks you can picture that but i did what i always do which is just scan the area and like assess my threat level yeah <laughs> and i only know that i had been doing this so constantly because this time i didn't get the result i expected so like i i looked across the courtyard and there were like four or five guys right near the little um opening the wall that I needed to walk through. And so I looked at them and I was just like, okay, at least half of them are going to look at me as I walk by. They might say something. One of them might mutter or say something, but that's it. Like this is just a yeah. low level threat. Yeah. It's fine. So I walked on through and nothing like they didn't even look. It's, it's really, so... it's really weird. That it was like the first time that I was like, yeah. Oh, I did not get checked out. Like any time in your life, you walk by any man, any age, in any situation they look at you and this time they didn't and I was like oh this is like a change like I'm getting older mm -hmm. yeah yeah and like it doesn't necessarily make me feel safer but it does make me able to just go through my day faster yeah because I don't have a you know even just planning to yourself what will my response be my response will be I'll walk faster or yeah. I will ignore them like even mm -hmm. just having to have that in mind is taking up a certain amount of my brain power Oh, and yeah, and and having that be gone is yes. nice and just lets me move through life a little smoother. And and then when I do get a hey baby, it's just like <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the the amount of mental energy it takes to kind of run through all the potential scenarios that could happen, even if they don't. Yeah, I mean, it's I watching this movie. Um, it's so familiar. Like, even though none of these specific things have happened to me as a working, you know, as an FBI agent or whatever, the sense of feeling like a conversation is turning from professional to some sort of weird personal kind of interrogation. I remember working on a show, and this is the ways in which I feel like things have changed a combination of getting older, but also like there's so much more awareness of this. But I remember working on a show and being uh, like probably 26 or 27 and finding out at the end of the season that one of the writers had been thinking about asking me out and was kind of curious, like if I'd be interested and was going to another person. And he was like 50. Ooh. And I remember being like, or maybe older. And I remember being like, and this is not even that bad, but mm -hmm. like it was a, yet another scenario where I was like, oh, I thought this was all professional and fun and like, but nobody's like trying to come have sex with me. Right. And then it was like, 
oh, this this guy wants to go out with you. And he was like very nice or whatever, but like stuff like that. Like, but yeah, that's this... supposed to be a safe relationship. Yes. And then and... It's, it's really shocking when you're dealing with like an older man, you're like, oh, this isn't a safe relationship just yeah. based on our age differences. And when I first started working, I was so young, like 22, 23. So everybody was at least, some people were in their 20s, but like I was working on TV shows. So it was like, people would be as much as 30 years older than me easily. Mm-hmm. And I would, I, this sense of being in a conversation or a situation where you're like, oh, that, that person wants to fuck me <laughs> or like that person wants to go out with me. And like me being like fun and, and charismatic is like, there's a price for it. And uh, yeah. And like in this situation where professionalism is just like held at such a high standard because you're dealing with such serious issues and she is just constantly being sexualized in this low level sense of anxiety that women have learned to kind of live with certain parts of their lives. And you watch it happening on screen, especially in a movie that was shot 30 years ago Mm -hmm. where it's not even apologized for, like she just deals with it. Yeah. Just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I noticed it the first time I saw it. I definitely didn't notice it the first time I read it. Yeah. None of that. It was so accepted. It's mm-hmm. so part of just the nature of being alive as a woman. It's just like someone might come at you sexually. And just You just got to fend it off and be cool and like keep going after your career. But always wonder if someone can try to fuck you or touch you <laughs> or like negotiate sex with you so you can get something. Uh, yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Or like decide that part of you is valuable and part of you is not. Yeah. Also, like, like, like Buffalo Bill is doing that to like a literal extreme, but yes. the rest of them are too. Like, oh, she's got great ass, but you know. Oh, and the way they talk about like the like, out parts. like he only wants bigger women, right? Oh my God, she's mm-hmm. a size fourteen. Like that's the size she's got to be in order to be uh, big enough for whatever he needs. And like, yeah, I felt this sense of like, you know, maybe I'm reading into it now, but like this was a way to punish women for being fat or for being overweight. You know, it's like he only picks this kind of woman. Did you understand, like, did that make sense to you? The thing about the patterning? The Well, I know when Clarice she understood something and ran out of the room and was like, you know, he's a seamstress. Well, like, what did, what did she say? Like, he's, he sews. He so I think she opens the closet, oh, right? She, yeah. And she's like, he's making a suit out of girls. Yeah, like that's when because, she figures it out. Well, I thought it was because there were these like diamond shaped cutouts of the fabric mm-hmm. inside that were like the skin cutouts that he had done. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't sure if he cut those or if what's her name? Because wasn't she in the victim's house who was also a seamstress? Yeah. But then I was like, I'll just chalk this up to my, my general confusion <laughs> when I do anything. <laughs> so what they're trying to show with that, I'm trying to talk about the movie and not talk about the book but the book kind of presents that a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, I mean, the difference in the book is that Lecter tells her straight up, he's making a suit out of, you know, he's, that's why he's skinning them. Her revelation is that he's doing fine tailoring is not doing caveman stuff. That's how she puts it in the book. In the movie, they don't know why he's skinning the, his victims. And then she sees those little, those diamond shaped inserts and and realizes what he's doing and that's why she's able to she then finds like the tailor that the first victim worked for and goes to what should be the tailor's house and finds him there and um but so what it is is like okay imagine you've got something that's non-stretch right and then if you like imagine the back of it has um here let me drag this over 
All right, so I just dragged over my dress form. Oh my God, that's cute. Yeah, this is cute, isn't it? This is what I'm working on for me. Is that a shirt or a dress? It's a dress. It's like a big fluffy Eliza, dress. you're such a tease. <laughs> okay, so like this is the back of the dress form. This is the center back, right down uh -huh. the center of the back. If this was a very fitted shirt like this, I'm pulling the fabric tight. This is the side back area. It's just on each side of the center back, but not all the way to the side seam. If we wanted to make a tight, non-stretch form-fitting shirt bigger, we would have to add fabric, right? We want to add it here and here to give you more breadth across the waist. We have to insert fabric, right? Okay. So what those diamonds we're trying to kind of represent was we've made a seam here from this for the side back and we've cut a diamond shaped piece of fabric. The wide part of the diamond is gonna go at the waist and then it's gonna taper up to nothing into that seam up at like shoulder blade area and taper down to nothing at like the butt. Nice, okay. So we've added width across the back waist and up into the body a little bit. Okay. Usually if you're making something and you have that issue, you would just throw this out and just recut in new fabric. Cause it is kind of weird to have like diamond inserts. Yeah. It makes it kind of obvious that you had to add fabric in. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an odd thing to see that the first victim had, had done that into, in her own dress, in her own closet. But it Do does you think remind it's, me. Do is it remember... one of those convenient things? For the plot? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Do I remember what? For your friend, she had a birthday and brought me a vintage dress to see if I could make it a little bit bigger for her. And because oh, yes, it was an existing 30th. dress with no, like, not really any seam allowance and I didn't have any matching fabric and it's not like I was going to make her something new from scratch. Yeah. So, because she just had this thing that she really liked. So I put in some inserts and they were just a triangle that went from the upper back down to the waist just to give her a little bit more breadth across the, like, shoulder area. Yes, I remember this. Back. So that's the kind of thing where you would add in fabric is if you don't have any other, like you re, you can't recut, right? And so that's why it's kind of weird in this movie because he, he's taking like the the one victim that we saw that had the diamond shaped cuts from her the skin of her back. Yes, is inefficient. Um, <laughs> I mean, if he needed that shape, at risk of being super gross, take the whole back. Mm. process it just yeah take what you need out of it <laughs> yeah he's really not being very efficient with his um with his creation of yardage here in this yeah. situation yeah you also see inserts like that on um corsets because like if you can imagine if you have a flat piece of fabric and you want it to suddenly get bigger in a certain place like the bust you would put in a triangle so like you got flat 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 and then like pew, like it just you suddenly got more room out of nowhere right right yeah, but usually, I mean, like, you've probably got shirts of your own that have, like, a dart taken out of the side backs. Yeah. That's the more normal thing. Yeah. To have side back, like, just a little, it just ends up looking like a little seam line on both of the side backs. Of, yeah, like, and the then blouse. it looks a little tiny bit fitted right here. Yeah, like yeah. a tailored blouse will do that. It's taken yeah. out, not adding in. Yeah. So that's what was happening with the, with the diamonds. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious to see if, for a non-sewing person, if that... Like if when you're watching that, were you just like, all right, great. I accept this moving on. Or did it like logically make sense to you? 
Yeah, I mean, when I was watching it, I had no idea why the diamonds would be cut out. I just sort of was like, um, well, there's diamonds cut out of that girl's back, and now there's diamonds here, and, like, everybody sews, and the other people are at the wrong location. Yeah, It's all yeah. very heightened. Yeah, it's funny. It, the sewing part of the story was kind of easily lost beyond the connection that, like, he sews, the victim sewed, the shapes match, you know, yeah, and I, I guess, wonder if I guess that was a really good ed, uh, like editing or, or change for the, to the book that you just have something really visual, like a diamond here and a diamond here. We know they're related. Yes. That's and all it's we happening need. while her boss is breaking into a different house. So the mm -hmm. whole time we're not sure. We know he's like when the knocking happens and the door opens, it's her that's at the door. And then meanwhile, there, of course, and that's like a masterclass in editing, right? Like you're not sure mm -hmm. which story is correct. Yeah. You're following both. You're getting a bunch of information. So visually you see the diamonds, you remember the skin, and then you're like, oh, she's closer. She's the one that's about to crack the case. Mm -hmm. And they actually show in his sewing room when he's doing that, working on that weird machine. I guess it's not weird. He's working on the uh, cobbler's machine. Looked weird to me. I was like, yeah. this ain't, this <laughs> Off ain't the to real the deal. side, there's a little, um, there's a piece of leather being stretched on a board and it has a, another, a, like a diamond pattern piece pinned on it just to get like the placement. So they do yeah. like, they kind of repeat that a bunch. Like they're really trying to get us to notice it and yeah, yeah. understand it. <laughs> Mildly successfully. <laughs> but it is kind of funny. It's like, I do want to understand stuff, but sometimes in a movie like this, I'm okay if they just tell me what I should understand. <laughs> if one of them says it's him, I'm cool with it. Because <laughs> I was a little confused, like just the sequence of like figuring out, okay, like he's, you know, obviously he's sewing. This is the first victim, like what their connection was. And then, yeah. And just the way it was edited, it was just like a lot of information at once. And you're kind of like, oh, okay. And, and now she's here. Mm -hmm. um now she's at the door oh i have okay so i have a funny thing to tell you about i will talk about leather a little bit right now okay so there's the line in this show everyone's favorite line what is it if you had to think of a line from the show that everyone loves what's the what's the favorite line this movie isn't it put the lotion in the basket yes it's, and it's it puts on the lotion or it gets the hose again <laughs> i yeah okay so um i had never questioned that line because i love it but in thinking about this, I was like, hold up, hold on a minute. We don't lotion cows. Would lotion make any difference in the quality of the leather that he's creating? And then I, so I looked into it a little bit and like, no, when you're making leather, you split the hide. So you've got like, um, like you've seen like cow hide rugs, right? Or something yeah. that has the hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was recently in Texas and I saw, yes. yeah, I saw <laughs> so the largest cowhide rug I've ever seen. And it, you like, it had the hair. The yes. It had the hair. hair up. So that is um, the top split. And then usually you have two splits in the middle. And then um, if you want any of those to be swayed, they're brushed with a, with a machine that creates like that mm. soft texture. Okay. And then the very bottom level is um, just another split. So you usually you can get four splits or even more out of, a hide right if you want if you want the hide to be uh softer more flexible more supple you get a thinner split or you use a different animal entirely so mm. it's not about how you treat the skin before it's 
collected. It's about how it's tanned, right? Yeah. The tanning process gives you the difference in texture. So fascinating. So, so the whole famous line is like not even based in anything. Lotion, it's just delightful and yucky. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bubbly Bill is a, is kind of a dum dum. He's kind of a dum dum. Yeah. Do you know the phrase to handle with kid gloves? Yes. What does that mean to you? To be very delicate. Mm -hmm. And I assume that kid gloves would be either made from a baby goat or something. Yes. <laughs> or wait, am I right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, or just for children. And so therefore more gentle. So Although children it's... are tyrants and never gentle. So that wouldn't make any sense. Like, Yeah. Since we're not familiar with that anymore, I think people sometimes assume that it has to do with children and it's not at all. It's, it's what you said first. It's a kid is a baby goat. Yeah. And because it's a younger animal and, um, and the, and goat skin is thinner in general, um, it's a th really thin leather. Mm. Yeah. Ladies wore them. The white rabbit wow. in Alice in Wonderland has kid gloves tucked into his waistcoat. Like, it's just a way of saying, um, someone who does fancy and delicate work or is a fancy person in general um butlers wearing white gloves originally those would have been kid gloves i mean we don't really have kid gloves anymore if you see a white glove anymore it's usually like a knit because it has yeah. some stretch and it's just easier mm -hmm. but yeah kid gloves it's it's uh you want a softer leather you don't lotion the goat you just <laughs> yeah you just do something to it after you've already skinned it Oh, man. Oh, I was going to tell you our run-in with Jodie oh, Foster. Yeah. yeah, tell me about that. One of my husband's mentors is was the editor of um, the movie Money Monster, and they, they needed, like, a viral video to be featured in the movie. And so this editor reached out to Jason and was like, hey, you have this video, Kitty Apocalypse, because me and Jason were in a comedy band together. And so Jodie Foster, like, watched the video and was like, okay, yeah, hire him to make this fake viral video that will be featured in the movie. So he worked on it. And then there was like a, a shoot where we all were there shooting these like kind of, I can't remember if it was like, like fake news inserts. But what I do remember is Jodie Foster coming up to Jason and being like, nice to meet you, kitty man. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what she called him, kitty man. And then um, we sat in the booth while she kind of like directed this small shoot at the, it was this um, news station called the Young Turks. Um, I don't know if they're still around, but they were like a kind of a left-leaning news station. And then we saw her at like a, some kind of screening event later. And I like started to speak to her because I had just met her. We knew each other. And then I was like, oh wait, no, she's a famous person. Like stop being like, hi, Jody. <laughs> um, but it was super cool because she, like we knew she had seen Kitty Apocalypse and she ended up, it ended up not making it into the final at, you know cut of the movie ah, but, but yeah but you know it's she still called uh, your husband kitty man so that's worth yeah. it <laughs> nice to meet you kitty man and like she was so nice and small i remember just standing there being like oh here's jodie foster oh my gosh yeah that's a great moment in the movie where she's standing yeah. behind crawford in a room full of men yeah and she's like she's so tiny and the only color in the room. And they're also tall all around her. <laughs> yes. Or when she gets in the elevator, that one of those early scenes, yeah. she gets in the elevator and turns around. And they're all wearing like red uniforms and she's in her jogging outfit. But yeah, it's like a giant wall of tall men. And then, and again, that's like that sort of like, even if you're not a super small woman, you're always aware when you get into 
any space where you're the only woman or, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just like, oh, this is familiar. There's something about this that just feels, you know. Yeah. Familiar and just like slightly uncomfortable. Like you're fine, but you'll get out of there as soon as you can. Did you like that there was a cat moment in this movie? Oh my God. That was another reason I think I stopped watching it the first time. from the parking lot and then when she gets abducted and the la- the shot of the kitty i was like i'm, I'm out i'm gone dead <laughs> can't take it and that's when i walked out of the movie the first time can't do it nope i'm leaving um which is my favorite thing to do to say i'm not doing this and walk away but i do i do have more of an appetite for scary movies thrillers and such than i used to which was, I used to have zero, zero appetite. But there'll be a real craving where I'll be like, find me something scary. You're like, like find I'm me something some right now. You know, yeah. the scariest movie that I ever saw, the the one movie where I, like, I turned to Tall Guy afterward and I was like, I regret seeing this. <laughs> was It Follows. Have you ever seen that one? No, but see, that's, I do have a line there. There's So there's a genre that I still haven't penetrated. Mm-hmm. It Follows is on that list because I've been told about that movie. For like six months, I was like, I shouldn't have watched it. And now I'm kind of like, should I watch it again? <laughs> have you like, seen... What is wrong with me? Why would I do that to myself? <laughs> no, I know. No, I totally, I totally hear that. That's how it was about this movie, Don't Breathe, which is a similar kind of like, it's dark, Someone's coming for you. You're trapped somewhere. Um, but then movies like Scream, um, you know, other things like that, uh, mm-hmm. horror films or anything that's even got the remote, most remote about, amount of camp, I can really get into. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know if you saw Bodies, 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 but I really loved that one. Um, yes. So, okay. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. Like, not particularly scary, but um, but also had some moments. Yeah, but it follows. If you want to um, regret your choices in life... As far as what movie you watched. Um, if watch I'm going to be, um, like, I still get fucked up when I think about Sixth Sense. Oh, um, yeah. Or like th- the there's Ring like, was kind of like that way back. Yeah. There's like a couple of scenes that were so visceral with Tony Collette. She's like in a kitchen. She turns around. So like, that, there's like a psychological slash just terrifying mix that I still don't really tap into too much. But um, but in other ways, I've made huge leaps and bounds, which I'm I'm proud of. Because I do think it's an incredible <laughs> genre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe I'll make the same leaps and bounds in the Marvel Universe uh, and Star Wars one day. But And space. Uh, and space. But, and uh, you know. things that involve time. Time travel, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Check- God. Okay, so it's time for a lightning round of could, would, and should. But because I refuse to let this be a story about men killing women, and I decided we were going to talk about Clarice and her uh, smarts instead. Be the girl. Yep. We don't really have a could, would, and should. So what I'm going to do and instead is I'm going to say, just shout out your answer to, is this a real patterning thing? Well, I guess, I mean, you didn't know. And I said, I guess. <laughs> so that's, so no, that's but I like this because the movie is about a woman, but it's a very male gaze movie. It's obviously yeah. like she's constantly being looked at and yeah. she's uncomfortable for a lot of the movie. And I love that the um, director, like it is chosen. He's showing us this, that she's being yeah. gazed at. Like it yeah. is really clear. Yeah. And also, as we said, it's like very much a product of the time in which it was shot, which was when that kind of gaze was not surprising or 
was very acceptable. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's impressive that it was showcased. Yeah. Because it was normal. It was normal. And, uh, but there was no real ramifications. I mean, it probably it. still is yeah. normal. Like, I mean, like I'm saying, in my own personal experience, it doesn't happen for me all the time as I move through the world, but it probably still does for young women. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would have to assume. Yeah. I mean, I hope it's better than that. I guess. I imagine having a federal job as a young woman is probably more protected now, but God, who knows? I mean, yeah. Just because I think there's... young women now are probably better at being like, stop it. You know? Yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, back in my day, it would have been more like, a, I'm ignoring this, I'm rising above it, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yes. She's really well, good at saying stuff. To, like, she tells Crawford, like, the way you act around me matters. They look to you to see how to behave. Yes. She's real good yeah. at speaking up for herself. Yeah. Um, okay. So then our second question is going to be, would Clarice recognize this as a patterning thing? Um, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, are we happy with how this worked out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. This is very satisfying. <laughs> it's a, the patterning thing's a little weird, but I don't care. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's a great book. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it is, I mean, okay, so it was written in 1988, and by 1991, it was a movie, and it is a real fast read. It's good, there's more depth, like, I mean, there's the character of Ardelia, who's completely missing, there's a plot line with Crawford's wife, which is completely missing from the movie, and Franklin, and he has more in the book, too. He, mm. Franklin is the guy who, uh, like, he... He's in charge of the area of the asylum where Lecter is held. And yeah. He has a respectful relationship with um, Lecter. And he's like, Franklin's obviously a very smart man as well. Right. And he has that. He is the only person. She, he is the only person that puts her at ease on her way down there. He just says, you're yeah. going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Yeah. And everyone else is either hitting on her or warning her or terrifying her. She or is only. Her, yeah. <laughs> she has only herself to um lean on for for any sort of comfort in that moment and then all of a mm -hmm. sudden he's like da -da -da, da -da 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 -da. you're gonna be fine yeah, yeah. um and he's i thought that was an yeah. interesting moment because i actually let exhaled when he said that i remember being like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but um like i'm just stunned that it was 89 90 91 like three years later that's really short you know? Yeah. yeah, that's really short for it to hit the bestseller list, then get optioned, and then adapted, mm -hmm. and then yeah. and then filmed, and then released. I mean, that's yeah. insane. Yeah, we were speculating um, that because it's the second book of the series, that it might be that um, whoever had optioned, like this company, must have optioned Red Dragon. Wait, which what is, is the, the first, first book? It's called Red Dragon. So like, he the, this author um, Thomas Harris was already optioned, and so when he wrote this book, they were probably like. We will also take that. <laughs> All right, Megan, would you please read us one of our reviews? I would love to. Megan and Liza are incredibly insightful, thoughtful, and hilarious people who have the sweetest sisterly dynamic and the best, most interesting conversations about sewing, etc. in movies I've ever heard. Also, the research they do is impressive. Tracking down David's bridal collections from 2011 to confirm Rebel Wilson's dress in Bachelorette. Wow. And I loved their analysis of the Rick Rack suits and Three Amigos, which I've always thought were amazing. As is this podcast. Yay! Yes, that is my friend Devin, um, whose opinion I value. And it, as nice as it is to get uh, reviews from strangers, which we do love, because, you know, that's awesome. That's nice. exciting, it too. Is, 
always nice to figure out like which of your friends are actually listening and paying attention. Um, Cause I find I, I was telling, I think I was telling you this recently. It's like when you perform or you write something or you put something out into the world, you just, there's a whole bunch of people that just don't even notice. Uh-huh. And, then, and yeah. then there's a contingent of people in your immediate life that are really intrigued and interested. And it's never the same people depending on what you're doing. So this has been really cool. Um, to see like who from all facets of my my North Carolina life, my New York life, my LA life, my different parts kind of, and of course for you too, people coming out of the work being like, oh, hey, I like this. Because <laughs> there's some people in my life that like I know have not listened to it and I'm just like, well, whatever. <laughs> that's um, all right because they'll be interested fine. to read your novel that you're yeah writing. they'll be into some other thing that i do or like nothing you know and then i'll just stop being friends with them and that's fine <laughs> um so yeah if you want to cut all of that and just jump to so that was a review from one of our fans <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just kidding you can keep whatever uh, but little dev i appreciate your review that's me too of. me too little dev yeah. Um, and listener, if you want to be cute like Little Dev, leave us a, a review. Um, we get real excited when we get one. Yeah. All right. So um, because so much of this action took place in Quantico, which is a city in um, a real place in Virginia. Yep. Um, Megan, I would like you to say hi to another real place in Virginia. Say hi to our listener in Leesburg, Virginia, please. Hi, Leesburg. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to say hi to our listener in Roanoke, Virginia. Hi, Roanoke. Hi, Roanoke. <laughs> yeah. Also, when the titles, when the Chiron came up saying where we were now being on the East Coast, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, this is close. Oh, we're really close to where this took place. And then I had to be like, Megan, it's not real. It's not real. I actually looked it up, too, because I was like, I was like, holy cow. I never realized, like, that's where Chesapeake Bay is like what? Oh, Liza, the entire East Coast is a mystery to me. Like, I don't even know what states are up there. <laughs> like, I have so much to learn being back on this side of the country as an adult. Uh, people will talk about cities and places, and I mean, this is embarrassing. But well, I told you last time I was in North Carolina. Um, I I always thought of <laughs> as being north of, <laughs> and it's totally not. Although now that I'm saying that out loud, I, is it? Am I wrong? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where anything is. Yeah, it's south. It's southwest, east. Wow, it's southeast. The southwest east, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Liza, when we lived here, we just had like a piece of paper that had an L or an R on it, depending on which road we were turning right or left on. We avoided oh, yeah. the highways at all cost, and we drove as little as possible. Still do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and I have always had the same philosophy around driving you know actually i have another friend who's also from north carolina who said that she drives north carolina style wherever she is which is if you're going to turn right you get in the right turn lane immediately even if it's 10 miles away oh yeah oh my god (laughs) yeah no my sister-in-law was comforting me because she was like she told me she used gps for a year when she moved back and i was like that's what i'm doing i still don't know where anything is you know, actually, in this movie, that scene that I was talking about where she's, like, singing along to Tom Petty and hitting the steering wheel um, kind of reminded me of our drive across the country of how, like, okay, so, listener, we, we drove from Los Angeles to North Carolina 
about as far as you can drive. I mean, it's the entire country, like the West oh, Coast, yeah. all the way to the East Coast. Yeah. And so the day that we were going to start our drive, I got in Megan's car <laughs> And I, and I was like, super, I'm going to plug in my phone. And Megan was like, to what? Because <laughs> I just assumed that she's young and hip, an L.A. girl. She's going to have one of those chargers in her car. And she did not. And I so... didn't even have my phone connected. Liza, these are moments when I'm like, <laughs> we are we play the same. Talk about roles from the last podcast. We play the same role in this one way <laughs> to everyone else in our lives. You know, because, like, my husband's horrified. Your husband's horrified. Like, yeah. everybody is like, how are you guys not? People would people were like, how did you guys not listen to podcasts all the way across the country? How did What did you just do? Talk to each other? And we're like. Yeah, what'd you do? Yeah. <laughs> we talked to each other. And then sometimes I turned the radio up and sang really loud. And then was yeah. really. And then I told Liza, I'm so glad she doesn't sing really loud. Because then I'd feel competitive with her. <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, I just wish you'd stop. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I was telling people too, and they were like, why didn't you immediately go to a gas station? And I was like, for what? Like, <laughs> You know, I mean, the thing is like, I, I was like, okay, I'm in charge of the map. I can't also be Googling. How do I connect the phone? Because then the phone's going to die and then we have no phone. And then yeah. anytime we got to a hotel at night, we were so exhausted. We fell asleep immediately. There was no time to look up. And then by day three, I was just like, eh, we're almost there. <laughs> and then, you know, after dark, I'd say things like, I can't see. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we managed to not die. So that's great. <laughs> I discovered I have pretty bad night vision on this drive. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's so crazy because I'm so, like, grateful for that experience. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love my sister. Like, I can't believe we did that. And then I'm also just like man that was hard it was hard for me like I just yeah it was very, it was you just emotional. have to power through it like yeah. not think during it just think about it afterward yeah yeah uh like I would love to do a cross-country trip like with you fun? that that was not that <laughs> all right girl do we have any more stuff uh yeah I think that's I think we got everything awesome okay all right bye Megan bye Eliza thanks for listening to there's no thread <laughs> Keep it threaded. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Yeah. And yeah. Wow. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I don't know. All right. Now I have the afternoon free.